Do you want to hear what the best and most influential minds in the golf and turf industry have to say on issues affecting the world of golf? Turf grass and turf equipment? That's why I'm here. Tune in as Steven Tucker takes us on a journey with some of the nation's best minds and finds out what they think. If you were looking for excitement, you have found the right place. Welcome to the Turf Addict Podcast. All right, everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Turf Addict Podcast. Um, sorry, it's been a little while. I uh, obviously had an LPGA event. Um, then we had the PGA show. Then we had golf industry show. And I got sick, lost my voice. And so now I'm finally starting to get it back a little bit. So uh, I wanted to um, go ahead and start this year's podcast off uh, with my first guest of the year, uh, my boss and uh, and uh, good friend Rusty Wilson. Um, as I'm sure you're aware, you guys are probably thinking Rusty Wilson. I've heard the name. It is not the quarterback of Seattle. That's Russell Wilson. Um, it's uh, the, the the biggest thing that I can say is you know true friend, great guy, um, and you'll find that out today when you uh, when you talk to him or, or hear from him, but. Uh, not the social media buzzard. He's not, you know, writing a bunch of posts and things like that. He kind of sits behind the scenes, and we'll learn a little bit why that is uh, hopefully today. So, uh, Rusty, welcome. Thanks, Stephen. I want to first start that uh, <laughs> um, we got to address this boss issue deal. <laughs> you, of all people, know that um, I'm not big on labels, right? We're we're all coworkers with a common goal with different responsibilities. So whatever verbiage we could use for that outside of the boss term would be greatly appreciated. <laughs> All right. Well, the rest of the podcast, I won't call you boss. Perfect. All right. So, um, you know, for those that don't know, um, how'd you get in the business? What got you in here? Why did you choose golf? Um, I've seen your game, you know, I don't know if that's what you thought would get you in the door or what, what exactly, uh, what exactly got you into this? Yeah, so I, I've been intrigued since I was 12 years old. I uh, actually got into the game of golf outside of the business due to a friend of mine who um, was having some health issues, and his grandfather thought it'd be a great game for both of us to get out there and enjoy and a, get some exercise at the same time. So I remember stepping out on the first driving range. We didn't know golf a bit, and here's me and my friend. And we're grabbing sticks, and uh, we know we are at the driving range. We hit balls, and then we see the hole. We're like, oh, let's go over there. So we kind of go down there, right? And we start playing the first hole, and quickly, within 10 minutes, we get run off. But in that 10 minutes, we fell in love with the sport. So as I graduated high school, I, uh, I ventured up into a university, and I was in actually in the – I wanted to be in a, a doctor, and I wanted to be in the med program. But my life showed me that my social activities were probably not ready for the med career. So I went home. <laughs> And I went home. I went back home and I said, all right, I got to figure out life, right? So I went to work for our public little nine-hole golf course there. It was a crew man of three. It was the GM super slash superintendent and then two workers like me, and I fell in love with the job. It was the first job where I never looked at a clock. I get up early, and before I know it, it was late in the day. And that my GM slash superintendent said, you know, you can do this for a living. It's like, really? He's like, yep. So off I went to Texas A&M, 
got a four-year degree in, in uh, agronomy and took my first opportunity in Concord, North Carolina. And that's where I became an assistant. And uh, I spent about four years, worked under some wonderful people there that really showed me the, uh, the skill set. But I will tell you, if I can back up, I'll tell you a funny story about my first day or maybe my second day in Bland Cooper. If you're out there, I hope you remember this, right? So Bland asked me to calibrate a spreader. And uh, I said, okay. And he looks at me and he says, you know how to do that, right? And, of course, my answer was going to be yes. But <laughs> I'd, done it in, I'd done it in school, but it had been a while. So I go outside for 45 minutes and just deliberate. How am I going to calibrate this thing? There's no direction. No one's out here coming to look around at me. All right, what am I going to do? So humble me, and I still remember this, walk back in there and say, Bland, can you walk me through it? And he kind of chuckled, and of course we did. So one of my lasting memories there. And once I spent three or four years out there, I got my great opportunity within the four seasons to, to go to Dallas. And I spent 10 wonderful years there hosting PGA Tour events, but also, you know, resort private memberships. And then six years ago, we opened our Orlando property, and they said, hey, what about Orlando? And I said, sure, it's a great time for change. Been here a decade. Let's let's go see what Orlando's got to give. So Orlando was the first true, if you want to look at it, as superintendent role, but it was a whirlwind and a learning experience that uh, has probably made me what I am today. Well, great. Um, you know, uh, the, the crazy thing is, you know, I think today you see a lot of assistant superintendents and even superintendents that have been to numerous clubs, you know, all over the place uh, trying to get the opportunity to get in at a club. And, you know, you were with four seasons for 10 years before getting the opportunity to, to come to Orlando. Uh, why four seasons? Why, why did you st- stuck with them for 15 years? It's truly in the their business of philosophy. Treat people how you want to be treated, right? That's where we founded our whole foundation of the hotel. And that truly, I know there's people out there that tout that aspect of it, but this company truly shows that aspect of it. And it makes you hard. You know, you have opportunities to maybe step outside of that bounds and enter a new realm. But when, when your employer is truly focused on your employee, you want to make it very difficult to leave, and that's what they've done for me. Okay. So with Four Seasons being your first solo gig, um, how was that starting from scratch? You know, I know the history of it because I was involved in in the original, you know, coming down and evaluating the fleet for ownership and seeing what kind of investment they were going to have to make in it. But um, knowing that – you know, there was a golf course there, but there was no business model. There was nothing to work from. There was no idea how many employees you were going to need. Um, you know, how was it stepping into your first gig and having to figure all of that out for the first time? I would say it was uh, uh, a scary, nervous situation. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things when you step on, uh, we purchased a property that was probably at that time it was, 24 years old or so. So obviously it had been around for quite a while and had a great reputation and all that. There were some areas that needed to attend to, but when you look at it and you step on and you're there a year before you even open the hotel, 
and you take a look at the condition, you take a look at how you're going to have to build a team, you take a look at what the equipment is and all that kind of stuff, you have to take a step back and say, all right, what monster do I want to eat first, right? What is the most crucial aspect of this uh, opportunity that needs to be honed first? And that's where we started with employees, right? We had a, although the course was closed, we still had to maintain it on top of what was being renovated, but you had to start locking some team members down, right? So from the previous people, there were several that had tenure there, and I thought, great. You know, I'm going to get some history. I need the history to stay. So I, I opened it up to several previous employers or employees and, and said, hey, if you want to continue, you're more than welcome to. I need you on my team. And I got a handful of them, which was great. Um, but in that role, as you look at all the things that have to be done in a year time frame from the renovation to, all right, how many employees do I need and so on and so forth, I had to remind myself that, I'm building a department and there is no right or wrong answer because you can get caught up real quick and is this the right thing to do or is it not the right thing to do? So I had to remind myself every day that Rusty, there's not a wrong answer. There's just a need to develop what this facility and what this department's going to look like. So of course I rely on friends. We talked, Stephen, mm-hmm. talked to several other the guy, you know, my mentor and several other people in the profession that I rely on heavily. Said, all right, here's the situation I got. What would you do? And you just start from one. So it started with the employees. Then obviously, Stephen, we, we worked on equipment because you got to have your tools to succeed. Right. And then it was understanding, all right, outside of what we're renovating, what will need to be done long term? And how many employees are you going to need to not only maintain it on a daily basis but to drive the long-term goals of continuous improvement so that was going through the scrutinizing aspect and I remember talking to you right all right how many hours is it going to take us to mow fairways what do you think mm-hmm. I don't know yet <laughs> well we know one guy takes um eight to ten so you think it's two or three mm-hmm. you know so it was it was a it was a crazy scenario to start building this thing from the ground up, and I think it's one of the most uh, feelings of accomplishment once it got up and going and where we're at now. But back then, it was so much planning and so much making sure because you didn't know who the employee was going to be, you didn't know what you know what opportunities machinery you're going to have, and you're in our world where we have a new hotel. This is a new property that's got to learn golf again, right? And the biggest leap that you have to do is start educating everyone. Hey, we do have um, golf as a recreational activity over here, and this is what it's going to take to run that activity based on the standards that we expect. And we have developed standards. You remember that, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, you know, the the big pieces to putting this thing together too were, I think, looking ahead, right? Not just focusing on what we needed today, but – looking at the long-term picture of what did it need to be and what were we trying to build it towards? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I think uh, I think one of the biggest things that people sometimes don't realize is you're also, you know, in that situation, you're, always, you're also trying to build credibility with the te- new team that you've just joined. And what better way to do that than to kind of work through all this information and provide data on why you came to the conclusions that you did and, 
And I think the more of that that we seem to do from the beginning, the more comfortable everyone got with some of the decisions that we were trying to make and the path that we were trying to get on. I mean, obviously the golf course wasn't in the best condition when we got it, and our goal just being to not improve it overnight, but over a long period of time to uh, to make it something that people would enjoy coming to play. And, and you know, <laughs> needless to we know we got another tournament that, that we ended up getting with this LPGA event. So um, – while we thought we were out of tournament golf, we weren't, yep, and we it thought. came right back. So um, <laughs> that was, yep, that was. Uh, I thought I was out of tournament golf, and like you said, when we, when we got this opportunity, I looked at him. I said, "Here we go again." Yeah, and you know, it, which is phenomenal. It is. I mean, you, you look at the golf course, and it isn't extremely long. There isn't, you know, I mean, it, it's a for Florida. It's obviously you know hilly in comparison to most Florida golf courses, but. Um, it's a great golf course to play. I just, you know, I don't know that I envisioned it as an event. And, you know, now that we play it on there on the golf course, it's hard to imagine it without it. So, um, you know, I think the event really helped not only us see, but I think the members as well as Four Seasons see what the potential was for the property. And let, and let me say this too, you know, as an outside guy, I'm always looking at, at, at views, right? So when I was in Dallas, Obviously, we always explore new opportunities, what's out there for the new opportunity, and always kept my thumb on Florida, and I always saw, you know, there's constant positions posting and all that kind of stuff. So I'm this guy in Dallas thinking, all right, what is what is the toughest thing about, why is there so much turnover down there, you know? It's warm season, you got sunny weather, you got you got everything, and it's warm season grasses. This must, it has to be a cakewalk, I thought. Um in Florida, but mm-hmm. I will tell you, Florida superintendents out there, I have the utmost respect for what you do, previous and current, because once you step into the shoes of Florida anywhere, you will quickly find out that you're constantly under attack, right? You're either under attack by an insect, you're either under attack by a disease, you're under attack by hurricanes. You know, it is a constant uh, energy to stay ahead of what's coming, right? Mm-hmm. And and it takes quite a while to understand the seasons and what you need to look for and all that kind of stuff to become comfortable. So I understand why sometimes in this world that there is a little bit more turnover. But it's a matter of, you know, sometimes it's a matter of explaining that to people that are above you, you know, and say, here's, here's what we got. It's a classic example. I know... I know they always laugh at me because I never give a hundred percent guarantee on anything. I'll give them 98. (laughs) I said, but there's, you know, I can't guarantee anything, but we're going to try our hardest to make the condition possible or remedy the solution to the issue. Right. So in talking about, you know, four seasons and, you know, we've been together for five years here and what, two years in our year in Dallas. So six total. Um, Equipment manager, superintendent relationship, um, you know, I know how it is for us, but, you know, for those that are out there, you know, what's your philosophy behind that relationship and and the importance of it? I think you're going to find, right, if you really take a step back and look at uh, a lot of us who are in superintendent roles to the equipment technician, 
um, it's probably one of the most important that you wrap your head around if you're a superintendent and an equipment manager, same thing. It's the most important that you get into the world of the superintendent and get to know each other. Right. I, I, I hear stories and I've been involved in places where it's almost like a separated deal. Right. And they do their job and we do ours and, you know, don't worry about communication. Just go in there and tell them what you need and make it happen. Right. But to get a true respect for what Stephen, you and your guys do every day, you have to envelop yourself in that area, right? You have to talk, you have to listen, you have to understand how to improve the current condition, right? So in my world, in our department, it is an open atmosphere. There is no superintendent office. There is no equipment manager office and there is no assistant manager. We're all in one room. We all sit in a room all together because we need to share ideas. And when I talk about the equipment manager side of it, I, I hear the constant struggles where they just don't get it or they don't have it ready. But have we truly stepped back and communicated our wants and needs? And have you truly got to know that technician or that equipment manager on a, a, a personal level, but B, on a professional level? Because once you break that mold and you can get you to, to open up and say what needs to be said, you become a fluid department. And those needs and wants start becoming automatic. No, I agree. I think, um, you know, one of the challenges that a lot of facilities face is that dynamic between the superintendent and equipment manager. And a lot of it's just personality. It's different. You know, you both, you got to realize that everybody's got different personalities and, you know, you got to figure out. And <laughs> as a leader, it's our job, regardless of the personalities, to figure out how to, how to get along with everybody and how to, how to get the most out of everyone. And, and that involves being someone to go up that you, that you can talk to, or you can go up to and, and, and ask questions to, um, if I go out and see a disease on the golf course, you shouldn't feel like I'm stepping on your toes because I'm out there looking at it. And I think, you know, same thing for me, you know, if you see a quality cut issue, I shouldn't be, be upset because you've, called me on the radio to let me know about it. Um, uh, and, and I think the more of that, that, that improves, the more that communication improves and everyone understands that, Hey, we're all on the same team and we're all trying to make the golf course the best it can be. The, the easier, uh, making a great golf course ends up being and becoming. And, you know, you could, you know, I've said this in a million classes, you can, you can have the best agronomy program in the world, but if we don't cut the grass good, then it is what it is. And same, you know, same thing in reverse. You could have a horrible agronomy program, and I could have the best cutting unit program, and you wouldn't be able to see it. Um, so it definitely takes both to uh, to make a great golf course. And you know, I think uh, we've both been fortunate to find each other to to uh, be able to do what we've done so far here at uh, Four Seasons with the guys. So, but you know, there's not much really to hide. Let's talk about what happened today, right? Sure. So, <clears throat> today we're out mowing, right, and we have some some drain issues that, that need to need to be, you know, they need to be repaired and leveled. Right. So mm -hmm. we get a call today. Right. And Hey, we, we've, we've, we've uh, been another reel or broke another bed knife. Right. So first of all, your anxiety goes up because you think that the equipment operator is not paying attention. So from the equipment side, they're like, Jesus, these guys don't get it. Right. And from my side, it's like, all right, what are we doing? So remember, I remember standing there with you. All right, before, because we've been discussing this drain issue for quite some time, mm -hmm. before I institute 
a standard about drains and mowing, let's go investigate, right? Let's go investigate. Let's make sure that we may or may not have a faulty bed knife, right? right. Because it seems to be occurring in odd places to us. Mm-hmm. But, and we did, we looked into it and we potentially, there's no outcome yet, but we could potentially could have that. But if I would have quickly and not had the relationship with, you know, my technicians and Steven, we could have quickly jumped to a conclusion and started a disciplinary action on an employee that was not even near that, right? Sure, yep. But you, you, those conversations I don't feel happen as often as they should, right. right, in the industry. Yeah. I'm not saying we're perfect, but that's that's the one step I think we take above on both sides with feedback coming to the superintendent and the assistant and the seconds of assistance and the technicians is where the ability to open up and say, potentially this is it, but let's look into it. Well, and I, you know, I think that's why the crew doesn't mind coming and telling us when something happens, you know, because we've given them that environment where they feel comfortable, like they're not going to get fired because they broke a piece of equipment. Um, You know, things happen. uh, People get careless sometimes, um, but also things just can't happen. Uh, rollers can get loose. Things can, you know, fall off. You know, there's all kinds of, you know, some a, me- a member can drop something out of their cart and it's dark and we're mowing and they not see it and run over it and bend a reel. You know, those types of things can happen. And I think the big thing for us as equipment managers too is to not overreact that, you know, all of a sudden it's the operator that caused the problem until we can we can go out and assess that and see that that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I agree. Um, important things. And, um you know, I think uh, in in discussing that, you know, in terms of equipment and, you know, our views on, you know, what brands of equipment to go with and, and that type of thing, you know, I, I'm not sure what your opinion is, but, you know, there's a certain way we've done business since we got here, right, and and how we evaluate equipment and what we look for. And what we look for from dealers uh, and the expectation that we have at the club for those relationships. And um, I, you know, uh, from my opinion on that subject, it, it, I've kind of been let down in terms of some of the ways that business is getting done. Where, you know, if you don't buy all of our equipment, you get, you know, minimum service or that, it, you know, people feel like that you, um, that their equipment's the best, so you should just buy it from them. Um, and, you know, from from my thoughts, right, there's no one manufacturer that makes everything the best. And secondly, you know, <laughs> service speaks for itself. And that service isn't just about delivering parts when we need them. It's about, you know, being there when something goes down and providing us something and not wanting to charge us for it immediately every time we do that. Um, or... You know, when we do a demo, you bring it out, you spend the time to talk about it, you go through it, and we don't have, dan- you know, bro- it's it breaking on the first couple passes, you know, the, all things that we kind of work through on this property. But the crazy thing is, is if you don't, you know, kind of buy from them, you know, or buy from a particular manufacturer or, or from a particular dealer, that sometimes you can get um, bad kind of a bad taste in their mouth and maybe they don't want to come by as much. Yeah. I would say maybe not necessarily a bad taste. Maybe you're not prioritized on the list as as often. Right. And it's understandable. It's business guys. But you know, in our world, 
our whole hotel operation is, is derived around service. So I think that we are more heart, heart, um, in tune to the service aspect and the expectations because right. we have to set those expectations for our members and our guests and our, our resort every day, right? So one thing that I've noticed over the last couple months, and I can't put a thumb on it, or last year or two, is, you know, the economy is very good right now. And there's a lot of companies, not all companies, and golf we're, we're, we're trying to get back to what we are and kudos. If you're there, um, we're losing sight of service, right? There, there's, there's countless aspects that we can talk from equipment. We can talk from just vendors in general and golf where it's almost expected that you're going to buy this and I will get it there when I get it there. You know, if you take that philosophy because the economy will turn, Mm-hmm. right and the people that are not focused on the service aspect and this goes within any business not golf but any business the ones that will survive and the ones that will rise to the top are the ones that have never stopped on the service side and it can be simple as you know in my world you had a pythium outbreak and it's four o'clock in the afternoon and you know i don't want to wait any longer and you you call that sales rep and say hey you know i need x product for pythium what you want to hear is I'm on my way. What you normally hear these days is can I get it there tomorrow or the next day? For me to develop a relationship, when it, mine is about, in our hotel, is about experiences and memories. That request creates a memory inside my head that that guy is going to go the extra mile in an emergency and in day-to-day relations. So, that's where the service is going to start. And the people that can focus on that service will continue to be who they are and grow even in when the economy turns. No, I agree. All right, so big question for you. Oh, no. What what does Rusty Wilson's future look like in the next five years or so? Rusty is at a time in his life where he doesn't know quite where his future is heading. Right. I've, you know, um, you know, I'm a Texas guy. So hopefully one of these days I can get back to Texas. Right. My family's there. So on and so forth. So I have strong desires to return back to Texas one day um, in one shape, way or form. Maybe it's with the four seasons if another property opens or maybe it, it may have to be outside the industry one day. Um, but, you know, I'm. Not an old guy. I feel old, but I'm not an old guy. But my life now is, you know, I've kind of done what I've wanted to do within the golf course industry um, as far as goals. And I don't know if I'm in my midlife crisis. I don't know where I'm at, but it's almost like even if it's not in golf in Texas, maybe it's a new business because my desire now at, at, at where I'm at is to lead people and help promote change, right? I mean, Stephen, you hear me talk about brick walls all the time. Mm-hmm. That employee is throwing up a brick wall. What are we going to do? We're going to bust through it. You know, immediately the reaction is, well, we can't do it. There's always a way, right? And I think that I've had to be, you know, in our in our world, even with the four seasons, we've had a lot of proving to do, right? And if I would have stopped at that wall, would we be where we're at today? And we have room to improve already. I mean, That'll never stop, right. right? We'll always continue to improve. But don't ever stop when someone says you can't. My whole life has been about proving 
people or perceptions wrong. Right. And that's what drives me every day. But what drives me more now that I've gone in this career for almost 20 years is to watch my people grow or industry professionals in any, or in help any industry professionals in any way. I get more gratitude now out of watching people succeed or come for advice or, hey, I got this issue. What do you think? And then watching something right, wrong, or different go the way they planned or not, you know, and then we'll right. coach, right? That's where, that's my life. So in Texas, if it's outside of golf, maybe it's a new company, I would love to be part of something that, again, even if I start backwards, right, I just want an opportunity to grow and help and lead people and a company to their top service levels. Okay. So do you think, you know, like in the golf business and things like that, you know, obviously Four Seasons is a luxury brand. Um, do you think it helps with job opportunities to have worked for Four Seasons? Do you think it can hurt working for Four Seasons because of a perception of, you know, well, luxury brand, they've got all kinds of money. Um, do you think that there is, you know, and obviously it probably depend on, on the type of golf course you were going to or the type of opportunity you were looking into, but do you think that there's a negative perception in some ways from, from companies looking at four seasons, if you're going and trying to interview somewhere that you're getting everything you're asking for? I think potentially there could be, right? So it depends on <clears throat> where that company is in the market. You know, there there is a – we can go to that perception of, oh, it's the four seasons, there's, there's dollars available. But much like I always stress in what we talk about is there's a standard, right? And the standard that <clears throat> we have set comes with a cost, right? So – we managed to that cost, but it's taken a long time. We had a high standard. We have a high standard and it's taken years to develop up to that standard and it's cost dollars. Now, if you're a company that's out in the golf market, that is, it depends on where your standard is decided to be. It doesn't have to be in my world. If you told me the standard was at X line, I'm going to manage the X line, but I'm going to make that the best it can be with that standard that is set. Right, And we will talk, right, about, hey, here's the next step if we want to push a little bit more. But if this is a business, and people don't, don't get emotional about this, but it is a business, right? You always tell me, if I was the owner, would I write this check? And if you can answer yes, then you're making the right decision. Mm -hmm. If you can answer no, then, then you're doing the business model of what it should be, right? right. The business says you have X dollars, and that's how much you have to spend. Sure. All right, so you've got a Twitter. I've seen. Uh, I've seen it. Yep. Right? But I don't know that there's maybe one post ever made in the three to four years that you've had it. Well, I've got a lot of those hearts, right? Yeah, a lot of hearts. you okay. got a lot of hearts. Good, good, good. Uh, a lot of scouting, not a whole lot of posting. So An occasional square. Yeah. Okay. okay. And retweet, so. maybe. You might retweet a post or two. Yeah, every once in a while. Um, so – What's uh? What are your thoughts? I mean, do, do do you think that it hurts you in opportunities down the road not to be out there as much? Is it matter? I mean, though the obviously you're on this and this is not your thing. I mean, podcasting. I can tell you, dragging, kicking, and screaming uh, to do this. It, you know, it, it's not you just not an out front. 
guy, and I know that. And uh, it, it isn't a it, for me, right? Knowing you, it isn't a negative. Um, but when you know you hear about everybody in the golf business, and we all know this that it's a people business, right? It's who you know. It's not necessarily what you know. Sometimes. Do you think that if, you know, whether it's for yourself or other superintendents out there that not being out in the social media realm or, or having some comfort with using it, that it puts you behind a little bit in terms of the opportunities that you may or may not get, or do you think it's better? You know, and I, I can tell you for some posters, it would be better if they didn't post, yeah. but, yeah. but, uh, I do, you know, what's your opinion? Well, I think in the age we're at is definitely inhibited if if I started looking for some good opportunities back home, right? I'm just not the guy out there. I just have a different philosophy about social media. Um, and it's my own personal. It's nothing for anybody to follow. It's just my own personal philosophy about social media. I think that we've become a world that is wrapped up in look at me, mm-hmm. right? And in my DNA, I'm not a look at me person, right? right? I'm about look at a team. Sure. The values that I get, the core values and the and the happiness in my data boys come from watching my guys either deliver a product that they worked so hard for or take that next step or whatever it be. That's my social media and it's only in a localized group, right? Sure. Um <clears throat> but the world is about kind of look at me now, right? And I just you know, in all honesty, I just don't get into that game. Mm-hmm. Um I love the aspect, and I use Twitter like everybody else does to continue to develop ideas. You know, we are all smart out in this industry, and we all have figured out a way to succeed at our course, right? Um, because it's funny. I'll tell my assistants, you can't open a book, right? You get out of school, you get all this education, but there is no medical book there to give you the diagnosis. There's none of, you know, nothing hard tangible where you can open a book and say, if I do this, I get X result because every property is different. Every property is underneath a different environment. So you have to be creative in the way you develop it, which in turn creates these great ideas that a lot of you superintendents, a lot of equipment managers and a lot of industry professionals put out there. And I'm one to observe them. And some of them I trial. Now you can ask Steven, I'm very hard to change, but I am open to change in small increments at a time. But when we get back to the social media, um, everybody like a golf course, everybody's different. And, yes, it, it more than likely, and some of my aspirations to return home, has more than likely inhibited my advancements. Okay. So, you know, I, I think um, the, the biggest things from the social media aspect, and I think some people do it really well, and I think some don't do it very well, is – you know, the, the ideas of just sharing ideas, sharing things that worked for you, sharing things that, you know, hey, look, you know, this is what we did and this is the result we got. So sort of like the textbook you're talking about, right, that, that people have tried it. And now you don't have to go spend thousands of dollars trying something that someone else has already proven works. And that being real today just happened information and not five years from now you find out that, oh, I didn't know you could do that, right? So – you know, I certainly see a lot of guys that, you know, as you said, have these ideas and things that come up where you can get instant results from and that have backed up that information. 
And then you've got the guys that are, you know, holding up the trophies and doing all of those things. And that's all great if that's what you feel that you need to do. But, you know, I agree with you. I think, you know, the biggest thing about social media, number one, and for me, is just making sure that, you know, you're kind of touching people, right? Meaning, you know, if I can post something that helps save somebody time or saves them money or saves them, you know, a year to try to figure out, then it's just helping that person a little bit more. And, you know, my technology difference is huge, right? You just, I think when you moved to Orlando, you went from a flip phone to an actual phone, which, (laughs) which, which, you know, from a technology aspect, we see that a lot, right? Where there's guys that embrace technology right out of the gate I was very proud of you on our last lease getting the GPS sprayers because I could see it in your face. I could see it when you were when we were looking at doing it that, uh, you know, should we be, you know, one of the first courses to have these things, you know, because it could be messy and it mm-hmm. could be, you know, we're going out on a limb and taking a risk, a big risk on the quantity of money we were going to spend on these things for maybe a return or maybe not a return. Um, so, I have seen a lot of growth out of you in terms of the technology over the last years. And I'm the stretching. fact that you're sitting here doing a podcast is jo- has John Cunningham and Carlos Araya yeah. turning yeah. over right now know, because there's right? no way they would have they thought you'd come on and do this. So, um, so anyway, thank you, Rusty. I appreciate you coming on. And, you know, from my standpoint, it's been a pleasure the last five years and uh, looking forward to more. And... Um, We'll just keep doing what we're doing. So thanks for thanks for coming on. Oh, loved it. And uh, again, anytime I get to share my thoughts in in whatever shape, way, shape, or form they they come out, it, it took some prodding and pulling. <laughs> we know, um, but it's the right thing to do, right? And it's just another thought process that's out there. I'm not saying it's the right process or the wrong process, but it's another process. So, in my hope, this is my Twitter share (laughs) that someone may say, Hey, you know, he's got some decent ideas. Maybe I need to reach out to him or maybe I should adopt some of those philosophies or maybe I shouldn't. That's completely up to the listener that's on here, but thank you for everything you've done over the years. We've known each other and thank you for the opportunity to be on the show. All right, Rusty. Have a good one. You too.